It's our privilege to open God's Word up to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning to read the first 16 verses and then to turn to the Heidelberg Catechism and to consider the teaching of the communion of the saints, the fellowship of God's people in Christ Jesus. Not too long ago, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, especially 3, I think, where the Apostle Paul speaks of what Christ has done. you making one new man out of two, bringing Jew and Gentile together, the unity he produces. And now uh, in Ephesians 4, he turns to exhortation here, Ephesians 4 at verse 1, God's holy word. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. God's holy word. If you take out the Forms and Prayers book and turn with me to the Heidelberg Catechism, to page 222, 222. Again, the Apostles' Creed is being explained here. Uh, In question 54, it was asked, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? Not meaning Roman Catholic, but universal. And we saw last time our confession there, we believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for Himself a community chosen for eternal life, and united in true faith. And now we continue to consider that church united in true faith. Question 55 asks, 
what you understand by the communion of saints. First, that believers, one and all, as members of Christ the Lord, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. Let's bow before our Lord and ask him to help us today. Heavenly Father, we pray that by your spirit that you might lead us into a deeper unity, even by the hearing of your word this morning. So work in us and shape us, heal us, and grant us your riches in Christ, we pray, and that the head of the church himself may be glorified. Amen. Well, Congregation of Christ, we, we sang those uh, rather poignant words a moment ago, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. That third stanza, we share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. Good song to sing on occasion of a huge list of prayer requests, but what kind of a people sing that kind of a song? What kind of a people sing that kind of a song? You, you probably won't hear it sung at a political rally. You might not hear it sung in the workplace, in the break room. Probably won't hear it at some, some dog club or men gathering to fly remote-controlled airplanes. What, what kind of a community or society sings a song like that? You could even ask what kind of a person writes a song like that. What kind of a person writes a song like that? The song was written in the 1700s by John Fawcett, and there's a story that goes with that song. John Fawcett, by one account, was an orphan without family. Became a believer under the preaching of the famous George Whitfield. At 16 years of age, he, at 25, became a minister, was called to a small country congregation in northern England where he received a, a small salary, paid at times with, also with potatoes and wool, and faithfully performed his duties, but he was a a gifted minister, and after seven years received a call to a prestigious church in London, and there he would have greater use of his gifts, presumably. There he would receive a greater salary for the comfort of his family, and as the story goes, he accepted the call, and he preached his farewell sermon, and the day came, and they loaded up all his stuff into the wagon. And as he was about to depart, the tears of the weeping country congregation so moved his heart that he ordered the carts be unpacked and he would remain their pastor, and so he did to the end of his ministry. John Fawcett knew the sorrows of departure. He knew the joys of Christian fellowship. He could write that song, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. This morning, brothers and sisters, I want you to realize that that confessing those words, saying those words, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds, is an act of faith. It's a confession of faith. The world doesn't understand what the church is and how she's different from every society, community, club, organization of the world. The church is unique, gathered by Christ, in Christ Jesus. And in a day and an age when even within the church, a lot of Christ's most precious gifts to his church are are belittled. 
Preaching the word today is often pushed to the side. The sacraments often pushed to the side. A lot of the most important gifts Christ has given his church are even forgotten by the church. Let's be reminded today that the communion of the saints is a precious gift that none of us deserve to be part of the family of God. And we are to treasure it as an extraordinary gift. I'd like to look at the communion of the saints this morning under three headings. The uh, bulletin points, there's a little mix-up. Uh, the ones for the evening are actually for the morning. I might have sent those in wrong. But anyway, uh, you'll have to reverse that. But the, the three points this morning are the unity of the spirit, the unity of the word, and the unity of service. So this communion of the saints is, first of all, a unity of the spirit, a unity of the spirit. The apostle uses that, that very language in our text, that this is a unity of the spirit, verse 3. But he, he also calls the church here a body. This letter, by the way, as most New Testament epistles are, is written to, is written to a congregation. It's written not to an individual, but to, to a body. One of the, the greatest misunderstandings people have of the church today is to think that it's a man-made society, that it's by a human power we gather, we, we have voluntarily come, we have brought ourselves here. The church grows as we, in a human way, bring others to join the church. But as we saw last time, the church is a sovereign creation of Jesus. He sovereignly calls and he powerfully by his spirit brings dead sinners to life and to himself. He draws the elect across the ages and all over the world to himself. And so the, the association of the church is heaven-made. It's a, it's a creation of heaven, this church on earth. And Christ, by his Spirit, has put every believer into communion with himself. We commune with Christ, and therefore he puts us into union with each other. Or to say it the other way, our unitedness to Christ, our union with Christ, produces a communion together, us as a people if Christ is our head, then we are the body, and we are brothers and sisters of Christ, and therefore of one another. And so the Apostle Paul uses this language of body at different points in this letter, right? And it's a rather wonderful picture that the church is a body. Who can forget 1 Corinthians 12, where the Apostle actually uh, very pr provocatively uh, speaks of the church as a human body, and every part is needed, and the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Right? But I heard somebody wondering, how did the Apostle Paul come to think of the church as a body? And that person reminded us of the Apostle Paul's conversion. What a remarkable event that was. Remember the Saul, the persecutor on the road to Damascus to go in prison and destroy Christians? And then he's met by the glorified Jesus and and that remarkable phrase, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me. Saul assumed that this Jesus was long dead. And here he is saying, why are you persecuting me? And the apostle-to-be had to come to grips with the reality that the people he was seeking to destroy were actually bound up with the Lord of glory, and therefore also with one another. I don't know if you've ever had it where you found some animal or rodent who's burrowed himself partly into a wood stack or in a hole, and you've poked at the rear end, 
poked and poked, and then finally the head comes out and hisses at you. Or maybe you've seen, maybe you've had this, your kids playing a game with their dad, lying on the couch. He's lying on the couch, stretched out, and they're tickling the feet or, 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 or hitting the feet. And, and they're waiting and waiting when the eyes that are closed or a pillow over the head, when suddenly the dad will lift up and roar at them, and they'll giggle and shudder at the same time. And they know that there's some connection between those feet and that head. The apostle Paul is poking and poking at the church, at these people of God, and suddenly the head appears, the glorious head of glory. And he's saying, why are you persecuting me? That's my body. And the apostle Paul-to-be had to realize not just that these people are united to the glorious head, but, but they're not a bunch of different individuals who have all, each one, fallen into some air, but they're actually one people together. They're one church they're bound to each other. Now, the apostles had a lot of time to reflect on this and received revelation from the Lord. He wants to emphasize this to God's people, that you are one body. And the way he does it in verses 4 through 6, you'll notice, is that he speaks of all the things that we share. But in the midst of doing that, he teaches us that the one thing we truly share is God himself, who himself is the perfect unity. He says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's just one Holy Spirit who sovereignly drew each of us to himself. And then verse 5, there's one Lord, one Lord Jesus. There's just one faith in Christ. There's just one baptism that represents the washing of sins in Christ. And then he says in verse 6 that there's one God and Father of all, who is above all and through you and in you all. And what the Apostle Paul has just done is shown us all that we share but has set before us this God, Spirit, Lord Jesus, God and Father, to say that the unity you possess is not some new thing. It's a unity founded upon the eternal being, the triune God, the three persons in one. And the, the amazing thing is that Jesus taught us that that the unity of the church is to be a reflection of the unity in heaven. Remember when Jesus prayed in the in John 17 to his father, he, he prayed about his church that they may be one just as we are one. That the world may know that you have sent me. And so the Christ was in that prayer revealing to us that, that the very thing that the world should see in the church is a glimpse of the triune unity of Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father has sent his Son. And so as the world comes into the church, they, they should see the glory of the, the perfect unity of heaven being reflected in the unity of the body upon the earth. And it's only when we grasp that that we, that we tremble at the thought of tearing apart the church. Or to say it positively, it's only when we grasp the significance of the unity of the church that, that we really begin to take to heart this exhortation of Ephesians 4, that that I beseech you, you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. The Spirit is telling us it's not enough to serve the Lord God individually. If you're utterly focused on your spiritual growth personally, as if you're doing that by yourself, then you are not serving the Lord. It is impossible to serve the Lord 
apart from the church. It is impossible to serve the Lord apart from being united to his people. What Christ is doing upon the earth is not saving individuals and helping them all personally grow up in Christ. What Christ is doing upon the earth is gathering a people and binding them together that they together might grow up into Christ the head. That's the picture here. We're to have a mutual concern for one another, convinced that if I don't serve the body, I'm not serving the Lord. It is not the Christian life that we're living if we have no regard for the body, if we refuse to join the body, to be joined to the body, to use our gifts for the body, to take an interest in the well-being of the body. Whenever I set myself apart and think it's about me and my spiritual growth and I distance myself from the body, I'm not growing spiritually but deforming spiritually. We are to help each other onward. We're to take each other by the hand. We're to carry one another if necessary. But the thing Christ is doing is a glorious replica of the Trinity, as it were. We we are to magnify the triune God by our unity. And what would keep us from doing that? Well, the wicked obsession we have with self-exaltation, with human pride with personal rights, with putting ourselves first. The exhortation Paul gives here is so obviously relevant to anyone who's spent more than three weeks in the church. The call to lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering and bearing with the weaknesses of others. And this humble love of a people who know their master, who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life. What endless church divisions and squabbles and quarrels aren't the result of pride, of self-assertion, of, of wanting to be, as, as John speaks of Diotrephes, who wanted the place of preeminence, who, who wanted to be something for himself. And Satan is always at work. Wanting to splinter, wanting to divide, wanting to provoke quarrels and And so the Lord here is warning his people, the only way you'll be what I'm making you to be is when you put on the spirit of meekness, when you you lower yourself, when you deal with each other in in a gentle manner, when you love each other, when you're willing to suffer long with the weaknesses of a brother or sister. And if you're not alert to that need and to the devil's schemes, then he sneaks in anywhere and everywhere to tear things apart. And yet, you don't have a reason at all to boast. Because everything you have is Christ and his riches freely given to you. What do you have that you did not receive, Paul asked somewhere else, right? Whenever we want to exalt ourselves over the body of Christ, then, then the Spirit comes asking us again, what do you have that you did not receive? You have a spiritual gift? Well, did you give yourself that gift? You, you have the ability to walk up to visitors and strangers without, without feeling any embarrassment? Well, did you get that from yourself? You have a successful business? Are, is that from you or from the Lord? You have godly children? Well, where did they come from? Everything a gift of grace. No reason to be puffed up. We are sinners who deserve nothing but God's wrath. 
And so we're never to separate ourselves from the body of Christ in our minds and to distance ourselves from the body because Christ lives among the body. We're to see ourselves as attached to the other members. You know, if you read the Bolton list of needs and you you feel burdened by that, that's not a bad thing. That's, That's a gift of grace. That the Spirit is so working in you that you feel an attachment to the body. It would be a sad thing if we could read the litany of needs and say, ah, I'll never think of that again this week. I've got my own thing to do. Well, that would be a, that would be a tragedy. It would be a revelation that I, I'm not connected to the body. This is not some human institution we've created. It's not a club we've started. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ designed to mirror on earth the glory of heaven and by its unity proclaim the God who is love, perfect love, Father, Son, and Spirit. So the apostle says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The calling in Christ. You were dead in your sin and he made you alive. You were one deserving to be cut off and as Christ did on the cross to hang between heaven and earth, rejected by both of them, to have no friends, to be utterly isolated. But you were called out of your sin and under that guilt into the righteousness of Christ to be united to God and his family. Now live worthy of that calling. What a thing it is in Muslim lands and Hindu lands when, when you read these stories of people who, who upon being baptized, becoming a Christian, they're despised by their family, excommunicated from their families. Maybe their family wants to kill them. They've lost their family, but they have gained a new family. The family of God, the body of the Lord Jesus And now they prize that new fellowship, an eternal family. The relationships upon earth, if all they are is relationships upon earth, how how trivial they are. I mean, imagine that if you lived as an unbeliever and you looked at your spouse and said, it's, you know, it's for these years on earth and we're dead and there's nothing after this. Or you look at your brother, or you look at your neighbor, your friend, and all your relationships you invest in are only as good as long as the body next to you keeps breathing. Be a rather depressing way to build relationships, but we look upon each other as those who possess an eternal bond. We shall be with the Lord together forever. So we enjoy the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit poured out over God's people, uniting them in Christ Jesus. But if it's a unity of the Spirit, then it is always a unity of the word. And that's the second thing I would draw your attention to, that the communion of saints is also a unity of the word. The spirit never works apart from the word. Now look what happens here in Ephesians 4 and verse 7. Verse 7, the apostle says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each one of us, every member of the church, some manifestation of grace, some spiritual gift is given. And then at the end of this passage, he's going to return to that in verses 16 and 17 and say that the only way the body grows up is when every joint does its part. When, when every part of the body is working and functioning and giving and doing, then the whole body's healthy and growing up. 
Okay, that's where he's going. But in between there, he moves on by talking about Christ ascending and upon ascension dispersing gifts. We've, I think we've talked before about how it went in the, the Roman world when a Roman uh, general returned from battle, from victory. They would have a parade in the city and the chariots would, would go through the city full of the loot, the plunder, the booty of war. And they would, they would have captives in tow, all the, all the people they've taken captive. It'd be a victory celebration, and then they would divide the spoils. Well, the picture is that Christ, having destroyed Satan, ascends to heaven in his victory parade, and now pours out upon his church his riches, the spoil of war. But notice now, as he begins to enumerate the riches What the apostle does here, he just said that that Christ gave gifts to everyone. But then when he mentions the gifts in verses 11, he just names four. Apostles, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, I think there's four that are mentioned there. The last one is probably um, two names for the same thing, pastor, teachers. And two or three out of these four no longer exist. Now the Bible is completed. We don't have apostles. But notice what all four of those are. They're all word ministries. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Their calling was to teach and proclaim the word of Christ. And so the apostle Paul is saying that Jesus has given this gift to his church, the teaching and preaching of the word, so that when the ascended king seeks to guide and shepherd and fill his people, he's doing it through the ministry of the word. This is his gift to her for building up his church, for imparting himself. We're going to come to it later in uh, Lord's Day 25 of the Catechism. And uh, it's asked, or it said, we, we, it's by faith alone we share in Christ and all his benefits. Where then does faith come from? Make sure our catechism class learned that this morning. It's by faith alone we share in Christ and all of his riches. By faith alone we have this. Well, where does that faith bond come from? And the answer is the Holy Spirit works in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. So, the way in which every member in the church is going to receive Christ and his riches is through the ministering of the word of Christ. So, though every part has a role to play, every one of us is called to give ourselves to each other with with the spiritual gifts Christ has gifted us, Yet those spiritual gifts cannot operate unless they are founded upon and feed upon the very word of Christ. It's this word of Christ that's that's building us up into unity because it's a unity in the truth. Before our unity is a unity in service, it's a unity in the truth. If there is no truth, if there is no Christ, then there is no unity. We're not united to each other, first of all. We're united to Christ, and in Christ we meet each other. And so we need the truth proclaimed. We need Christ proclaimed. And it's also by that word that that Christ is shaping his church and making it look like Christ. 
Uh, a painter has one eye upon his subject, the one who's posing for the painting, and has one eye upon the canvas upon which he's painting, or the sculptor, one eye upon the subject, and one eye as he lays his chisel to the stone. And so it is here that the Spirit has one eye upon the Lord Jesus Christ and one eye upon the church whom he is forming after the very pattern of Christ. Now a sculptor who makes a marble sculpture of Abraham Lincoln will not feel very good if somebody walks in when he's finished and says, who's that? He'll be very depressed about the schooling in America or he'll think, I failed my task. And the same thing, as as somebody walks into the church of Jesus Christ, the Spirit expects that they'll have a glimpse of the Lord Jesus among his people who are being shaped into the very image of Christ. Paul says in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why he gave the word ministry. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The church is to grow up to a spiritual height of Christ and in Christ and filled with Christ. That all the world might see Jesus in the midst of his people. And so it's that word that transforms us. And then the apostle goes on to say it's also the word that that gives to us stability. We are not to be like a toddler who, who, if anything is amiss, if there's a little toy in the way or anything, he'll trip, or if you push him, he'll fall over. We, we're not to be those who, who, who are weak, tossed about like little children. We're not to be like little children who, who, who lose it, who get brought to tears over the smallest thing because they can't balance or comprehend what's important in life and what's not important. It's not shocking that in churches where the word of God is not being faithfully preached and preached and preached, you have churches that are pulled this way and that way. There's a new fad. There's a new trend. It's this book. It's that Bible study. It's this, this. It's always the new thing, like a toddler stumbling all over the place. And the Spirit's saying, Christ doesn't want that for his church. He wants stability. He wants you to stand growing up into the full measure of Christ. And so he's given you his word. His word being taught and being preached and and poured into us becomes our strength. It shapes our lives. It gives us stability. And then it equips us all to be servants to each other. And that's actually the first thing that was said there, isn't it? When he mentions those word gifts of prophets, evangelists, apostles, pastors, teachers, the first thing he says in verse 12, that these are given for the equipping of the saints. And one scholar points out that that the word that's used there for the equipping is the word that used in the medical world of that day to talk of restoring a limb. And he also points out, interesting enough, it's it's the word that's used in the Gospels when Jesus meets the disciples and they're mending their nets. They're repairing them. They're they're cleaning them. They're not for the purpose of setting them in some museum so that someday Christians in 2024 can go to the museum and see the nets of the first disciples, but they were mending their nets so that they could go out catching fish the next night. And so it is that the, the ministry of the word 
is the thing that's equipping God's people that they might give themselves to each other. It's making us stronger, more pure, more like Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, there is no There is no growth for the church and strength for the church apart from the intense diet of God's word. We should be aware of that as we live in a culture, a Christian culture where there's always a craving for some new program. Let's find a new way to do it. Let's find something else more exhilarating. Let's find something other than this, the preaching of the word. We should be clear that Christ has chosen to impart himself through his word. In fact, Christ himself upon earth, when he went around teaching and preaching, he, he gave himself through his word. And it's the same thing today, that Christ and all of his riches come to us through the ministry of the word. And to the degree that we attend to that word and feed on that word, we will be nourished and strengthen. And to the degree that we leave food behind on our plates, week after week, we will be diminished in the faith, weakened, anemic, and faltering about like a toddler. So feed on the word. It's a unity in the spirit. It's a unity in the word. And then finally, it's a unity of service or a unity of sharing. The end of Ephesians 4 says that speaking the truth in love, that we might grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every part. Somebody might say, well, I'm, I have nothing to contribute to the body. I'm not spiritually gifted. And that would mean one of two things. Either you're not a Christian or you haven't read carefully the word of God. Because the word of God says, Ephesians 4 verse 7, to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. 1 Peter 4 verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, you've been given at least one spiritual gift. And there's a variety of gifts to the glory of God. God hasn't made us all to be an eye or a hand. That would be odd. What if we were just one giant leg? We would not be a very attractive body. But we're a perfect unity and diversity, right? The church, Christian church is not against diversity. Never, never set yourselves against your culture by saying we're not into diversity. Diversity is found in our God, one God in three persons. Diversity is found in the church, one body, multitude of parts, one spirit, a multitude of gifts, and all of them are needed. And now it's a calling for each one to share the gift with the others. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, again. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 1 Peter 4, 10, again. 
Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Now, one of the greatest misunderstandings of spiritual gifts today is the thought that the spiritual gifts exist for the person who's received the gift. And I suppose in the days of, of Roman generals that, that when the Roman general shared with you, the soldiers, the, the plunder of war, that you could take your gold and go home and spend it on yourself. But when Christ, our captain, after his victory of parade to heaven, pours out his spirit and his gifts, it's not for you, but it's for the body. The gift given to you is for the good of the body. Now that's odd, right, to try to get our minds around this in a world that's obsessed with personal self-fulfillment. And probably far too many spiritual gifts surveys have been filled out and worked through with the hope that by doing this, I will find my personal fulfillment, my gift so I know how I'm important. And that's completely the opposite of the reason Christ has given the gifts. How do we discover our spiritual gifts? We might better expect that we would not discover them, but that other people would discover them. And tell us. I mean, when somebody says, you know, something like, well, no one, no one recognizes my spiritual gifts. It's probably an indication that they have not tried to serve the body. Because when we give our gifts to Christ Jesus and the service to his body, then people are thankful for our service. They begin to rejoice in our service and to testify that they're built up in some way by our service. But when we take our spiritual gift and think this is for me and my fulfillment, then we're always running around saying, nobody appreciates me enough. How do you find out your spiritual gifts? You pray for the good of the church. You work for the good of the church. You love the church. You find a need and you fill it. And as you begin to fill the needs, then it becomes apparent in which ways the Lord is blessing the body through you. And the very words of God's people and the very direction they give you will, will lead you to see ways in which the Lord has gifted you for his body. And we're called to use that then for the good of each other. In the Catechism, it says, first of all, that believers, one and all, have communion with Christ, and we share in his treasures and his gifts. And then second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. Do you believe that this morning? Is that your life this morning? The riches Christ has poured out on me. I, I am ready, Lord, to cheerfully give to others. It's a communion of sharing, a communion of giving, a communion of service. We live in a lonely world. But it's a lonely world because it's all shrunk in upon itself. The very nature of sin is to turn in on itself 
but the gospel has turned us right side out towards each other. And we're to recognize that. That the gift of our Lord Jesus is to bring us not only into communion with the Father, but to bring us into fellowship with each other. The church is not just an institution where we have offices and preaching and sacraments. The church is a living fellowship in which we are bound closer to each other than we can even imagine. We are one in Christ Jesus and therefore called to love each other and serve one another. What a glorious thing it is. As I hear from different members, even again this past week, those who who are sick or in need who say, the congregation's been so wonderful. They keep calling me or sending me cards or they care about me. Those are good and healthy signs, aren't they? That God has given us a family and we care about the members. And let us be encouraged this morning to continue down that pathway, not to fall prey to the short-sighted, selfish isolationism that the devil invites us to, but to look upon the body and say, I need the saints, I need this body. I am not the whole body. I don't have all the parts. I can't live on my own. The only way I have health and are growing up into Christ Jesus is as I know Christ through his body. Through his body. Your brothers and sisters need you. If this morning you're living on the fringe and your contributions to the body have been meager, not because you've lost health or strength to do what you once did, but if your contributions to the body are meager because the body's not on your mind and the body's not in your prayers, and you don't gather faithfully with the body and you don't look for ways to serve, then I tell you by the word of God this morning, you're disobeying your Savior. You're disobeying your King. You are summoned by the word of God to the body and to serving the body. And as we do that, we come to enjoy more and more the Lord Christ himself who died for his church, the body. As we love each other, as we're joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, we grow up every part doing its share. There's room for all of us, isn't there? To pray again, Lord Jesus, help me to realize. Help me to realize what your church is. Help me to give thanks that this family is something I don't deserve. And help me then, Lord, to take all you lavish upon me to do good to your people. And in that, I will indeed be satisfied. May God be glorified. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for your word, for your rich, challenging, life-giving, life-shaping word. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of the church, for a body, for a family. Father, we thank you that we're not alone in this world, that you are our God, and these are brothers and sisters. We thank you for your spirit who has bound us together with a a depth of reality that human eyes can, cannot perceive. We pray, Lord, that we would not forget what you've called us to, that we'd walk in all lowliness and gentleness, and that we would share, that we'd serve, that we'd contribute as you call us to do. Where, Lord, our human strength is diminished, let us take up especially the gift of prayer. For, Lord, how your body needs prayer. Help us, O Lord, to be encouragers to each other. Help us, O Lord, to look for the needs and to be willing to meet them. And grant us the grace to do that, so that in all things Christ may be honored. 
and the very unity of the triune God might be displayed. For Jesus' sake, amen.